Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. Great. Um, so we, uh, we've been going through this series called The Bridge. And the idea of The Bridge is that, you know, as we look through the book of Matthew, that Matthew's book serves as a bridge for a couple different ideas. One is that it's the first book that we read when we come to the New Testament, even though chronologically it probably was written uh, towards the end. But uh, it also serves as uh, the bridge between so much of the prophecies and the promises given in the Old Testament and Jesus being the fulfillment of it. So we've been looking through this verse, and, and, and I want us to make sure that we remember that idea and that mind of the promise and the fulfillment of the connecting of the Old Testament to the New Testament, because you're going to need to know it for where we're going to be this morning. Um, before we get there, I have to warn you that what we're, the topic that we're on this morning is a topic that you, like, you know it has to come up in church every now and then, but you don't really love to talk about it. It's the idea of temptation. And we probably all could give like the two-minute version of this. Like the band could have six more songs. We could just sit here and sing and then leave because it's like temptation, bad. Don't give in to temptation. Resisting temptation, good. Dane, pray, let's go home, right? But uh, um, I, I just want us to think a little bit deeper about this, especially as we get into this story, this weird story of Jesus. I like to call them episodes of Jesus. <laughs> like this, in the next episode of Jesus, this is what happens. Before we do that, like, like, let's define it first. The idea of temptation is the enticement presented to lead one into sin against God. I like this definition as well. It says, temptation is a powerful attraction that is designed to get you to change your mind about something, even if you don't really believe it's correct. Let me read it again. Temptation is a powerful attraction that is designed to get you to change your mind about something, even though you don't really believe it's correct. It's to take you from what you know to be true, what you know to be the way you're supposed to go, and to change your mind about it, even if you know it's wrong. Like, I, I brought this up in a previous sermon. Um, I grew up in a, in a family where, as a child, you don't get to touch the radio. And, like, before I had my own headphones, I had to listen to my, my mom and dad's radio, and they were oldies to a T. Like, still, if I was to go to my mom's car right now, Heart and Soul on Sirius XM Radio. There's not a song on there that was made, like, past the 80s. And my parents used to love this song, like, where, where the guy says, uh, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to what? I don't want to be right. And it's the idea, like, I know this is wrong. I know this is what I, I'm not supposed to be into. But, man, there's just something about it that I wanted anyway. Um, can I be honest with you? I, I, I don't want to give the sermon of don't give in to temptation. You know, I, I think I could, I could give that sermon in, in, in five minutes. Rather, I want to tell you two things that you may or may not know in regards to temptation. First one is this, that temptation being in front of you, you facing temptation, this being something that like you can, like you can touch it, you can define it, you, can, you know this is present in your life. Temptation being in front of you and you being able to see it and deal with it is a sign of spiritual growth. If you are able to recognize temptation present in your life, man, that's a sign of spiritual growth. That, that, that is, a, that is like, like, it's important for you to understand and know that, that, that that's what's happening. 
That's the first thing. Secondly, temptation is a battle that you can win. I, you know, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and one of the hardest things that, like the puzzles that I couldn't figure out, to be honest, like if you were to, like, I, I could never, I, I always felt like, you know, I would mentor these boys, I would mentor young men, and it seemed like that was, it was just the inevitable loss. You know, it'd be like the, the powerhouse team, pick a sport, and it'd be like, well, I'm having a really great season but I got this team coming up and it's going to go bad. Like there was always like, like I can, I like, I can get over being disrespectful to my parents. I can get over, you know, like cussing and I can get over like pick a, like pick a sin, right? These aren't the ones that bother me, but this one seems like a giant that I don't have a stone for. We all got one of those in our life. And what I want to show you through scripture this morning is that even that giant, even the giant that you feel like you don't have a stone for, that was a battle that was always meant for you to win. And you being willing to face it, and you being willing to go up against it is a sign of your spiritual growth. Would you read with me? We're going to be in Matthew chapter four. It's going to be up here. Um, it's already up there. Sometimes I don't trust the screen in front of me, but Christina assured me that it's up there. So yeah. Um, let's read. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and for him only shall you serve. Then the devil, let him, uh, then the devil, the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Listen, weird story. You know, I wonder, like, I was like, Fear when I tell stories like this sometimes with folks that maybe they don't spend a lot of time in their word and they struggle with the Bible. You're like, this, isn't just, this is just a book of fairy tales, right? Like you got Mother Goose and then you got whoever wrote the Bible. And I, and I, like, I always like worry about like stories like this because you're like, who's this Satan? Like, what does he look like? Is he red like horns and like the tail and things? Like, how did he show up to Jesus? Like, I, I wonder if because it's unrealistic and we've never seen this outside of a sci-fi movie that we just we discard it. But I want you to like to understand like, you know, like how the supernatural becomes natural and Jesus uh, like allows this to happen in our, like on earth in these places, like you can define some of these places, you know, you could go there. We can like define where it was. And it shows us that Jesus being in human form, fasting 40 days in a weak physical state did not combat Satan with, you know, heavenly weapons 
didn't have like the Avenger style of like superpowers, but he dealt with this with God's word. That's what he used, right? Like even angels don't show up until after the fact. Like, like that's what he used. The thing that we so often disregard, the way that he dealt with, like I, I want you to understand something. Like, yes, like if you believe in Jesus, you got to believe in Satan. You have to. Like, like the, the, if one exists, the other one has to. And, you know, also, if you believe in Jesus, that also means that whoever your other, like, uh, whatever your political party is, the other political party, they can't be your enemy. Um, whatever um, team you root for, whoever roots for their rivals, they can't be your enemy. The person at your job that you just can't stand and you pray that they get fired every day, they can't be your enemy. Anybody and anybody else like, that you would just put, like, you know, as Americans, the folks that hate us and try to kill us and, and do all those things, they can't be our enemy. We only have one, and that's Satan. And by the way, we see here in this picture that Jesus performs a, like, a, a battle with Satan, not for his benefit, but for ours, to show you that it's very realistic in a very real way on how you deal with the attacks. Are you with me so far? Are we doing okay? Um, weird story. So I, I don't want us to miss this, that Jesus fasted for 40 days and he faced this confrontation with Satan. And, you know, this happens, like so many of our Bibles, if you, were, if you have a study Bible, they would point to this as the beginning of his ministry. Not when he calls the disciples, not when he starts making water into wine, they point to this as the beginning. Well, why do they do that? Well, I mean, for, for anybody who's like, if you are a, a manager on a, uh, on a job or you have something that you like, like where you're bringing people, if you're in charge of the hiring, there's a training process, right? Like there's some, like very few jobs, you get hired on a Monday that you're ready to start work Tuesday, no, like it, it, you probably have some sort of onboarding process. You probably have some sort of training or like training camp, right? Like you have some sort of period where you, where you go through. And so Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he fasts. The son of God fasts and prays back to his father. Him being Trinity, he says, you know what? Like, even though I'm a part of God, I am God, I'm praising back to the Father. I fasted before the Father, I've asked for his, you know, for his provision, I've asked that he would, you know, that his plan would be done, that like all of these things, like before it even starts. Three years on earth, he's gonna fulfill, do everything that it's gonna do, that's gonna fulfill the, uh, the, the salvation for you and I and for everybody that would come, that would come to believe in Jesus. But for the first 40 days before he ever calls the disciple, he fasts. Fasts, or just fasts. No extra S. Fast. That's what he does. That's how he starts it all. Um, I just love the humility shown by Jesus because we can debate all day if he, if he needed it. Even some sects of, uh, of Jesus plus religions point to this as the, uh, to the instance and evidence of like how Jesus became Messiah. That's not the point this morning that like whether he was born Messiah or he, was, uh, he became Messiah, a lot of like religious will point to like, oh, this is when he became the Messiah. It's not true he was born Messiah. We could look at that scripturally. Um, regardless, this instance definitely lays the groundwork for you and I knowing how to deal with temptation ourselves. 
Now let's get to the big question of it all. Why? Like, why would God allow this to happen? God's for our good, our good and his glory, right? Like that, like that is the purpose of what God's done on earth from the very beginning, even in kicking Adam and Eve's garden, it's all points back to for our good and for his glory, that he may be glorified by our good. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is described as the second man in the last Adam. Who was the first? Adam was. Adam was the first man, and he was the first Adam. And Jesus, in this pattern, 15, we don't have time to go there, it describes him as the second man. Why is that? It's because um, Adam disobeyed. I'm sorry. Adam was the first human. He was created perfect from the dust of the ground. But Adam disobeyed and brought sin into the world. You guys know the story, right? Um, Jesus is the last Adam in the sense that he was the last man who did not have a sin nature. Although he was like Adam in that he did not have sin nature, he was different from Adam in that Jesus was from heaven. Consequently, Jesus was able to be the sinless sacrifice for the sins of the world. The first Adam was tested in the garden, gave in to Satan, and got the human race kicked out of the wilderness. The last Adam went into the wilderness to defeat Satan so that he can escort us back to the garden. Man, isn't that like... Talk about the, the idea of the bridge, like the connecting the, 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 the promise with the fulfillment. Man, we're seeing this, and this is before Jesus ever calls a disciple. The last Adam went into the wilderness that he can escort us back to the garden. Also, could it be possible that even before he ever called a disciple, Jesus was leading by example? Is this not what... We're going to see here in, these, in, in the, the, what we just read in, in, um, in the three attempts that Satan tries to tempt Jesus. Jesus gave us the blueprint on how to stand against temptation. That's what he does. Let's go back to the passage. It starts like this. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I, I just want us to remind us, like, like this is an, an important, you know, like, like, like verse because it says that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. Who's in control of this? God's directing this. Like, like God is directing him into the wilderness, which means a couple of different things. One, when you're tempted, God's allowing it to happen. When, when, when Satan is, is creating calamity in your life or where he's putting things in front of you, he's only, allow, he's only able to do that because God allows it to happen. I've been um, reading Job. Me and Brian have been talking about this. I've been reading Job recently and it's just, mind-boggling to me, this, this episode where God takes his most faithful servant, uh, servant at the time, and, and Satan says, hey, listen, the only reason why this guy serves you is because you've given him a bunch of stuff. He's got a great family. He's got all this stuff. If you were to take all these things away, I guarantee you he wouldn't serve you. And God says, okay, you have full, full you're, you're the prince of the air go ahead, take it all away. And you just see this, like Job, like Job wrestles with it. And he just like, you know, like while he never gets to the point of cursing God, he does get to the point where he's just so distraught by a situation. It's like, God must hate me. But even in his confusion and, and, and even in his, his, his trouble, like just thought of saying like, God just hates me. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what's going on. God says, hey, listen, uh, Job, where were you when I created things? You know the birds that you see every morning? Where were you when, you, when I created those? Job, were you there when I set the earth into motion? 
God reminds Job that there's things happening outside of you. Like I'm the whole, I'm the one who sets all of this into motion. So in regards to this, what we need to remember is if we go through things, it's God who allows it to happen. And if you trust what God's told us, that he works his glory. In other words, in scripture, it says that God would not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. You're built for this. You, you, you overcome because God will allow you to go through what you couldn't deal with. The other thing we have to remember is we shouldn't be in the wilderness unless the spirit leads us there. I mean, like two different things happen. Sometimes you and I, we're, we're in places where we have no business being. Like we are watching things that we don't need to be watching. We are in spaces where we're not supposed to be. And God is saying like, I, I haven't called you there. Of course, you're facing temptation. You walk to its front door. In this case, God allowed this to happen because, you know, like God allowed this to happen because he knew that the servant, it's Jesus, like that he was, he was faithful enough and he was going to be strong enough to deal with it. I, just, just a reminder that for you, if you are a follower of Jesus, don't go looking for temptation that God doesn't bring to you. Oh, believe me, you live in 2023. There's going to be enough for you to deal with, enough for you to overcome, to show that you are, but by the testing of your faith, that you are strong and able. You're, you're going to, it's going to, there's going to be plenty to go around. You're going to get your fill. Don't go looking for it. We have no reason to be in the wilderness if the Spirit doesn't, doesn't lead us there. Um, it, it, verse 2 says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I just want to point this out that it seems like fasting is part of the preparation of all the great leaders that God uses in, in, through Scripture. You ever realize that? You know that Moses had a period of fasting for 40 days? You know that Elijah has a, uh, uh, had a, a period of fasting for 40 days? If God would call some of his greatest leaders to fast and pray, man, what could that mean for us? I wondered if, like, the next time, and we're, we're, we're trying to, like, plan and schedule this for our, our church to have a time when we do this together. It's one of the best things that our, the church that we came out of did. And, and one of the things that came out of our, our church fasting was uh, uh, the preparation for us to come and plan a church. I wonder if, like, if you're in just the, uh, like, a troubling period where you're fu- maybe frustrated with God, maybe you're frustrated with, like, your situation with, well, you know, what's next, or you, you feel like maybe you're stagnant, or maybe you're just, like, life is just brought you to a hard point. I wonder if you would set a date. If you would just like make it a point and says like, I know that for the next, maybe it's 20, 20 days that I'm going to take the things that I feel like are most meaningful to me. It doesn't always got to be food, but I'm going to take the things that consume my time, that, that consume the things where I can define the time that I spend doing it or define the effort of doing that. And instead of doing these things, I'm going to dedicate this to getting alone and getting close to God. You know what it looked like for me? So I was, I was reading this book. If you want it, I'll give it to you. I have it on my shelf by Mark Batterson. It's called The Circle Maker. And in his book, like he talks about the idea of the practice of fasting. And I was reading this book and I was just like, I know for a fact God's calling me to do this. We were trying to sell our home. We were trying to move up here to Towson to get started with planning a church. And outside of our church, you know, doing 
like inviting everybody to do this together. I'd never done one by myself. And I said, I'm not going to invite Anna into this. I'm not going to make my kids fast. I'm going to ask God, what are the things that mean so much to me that I need to give up so that I can see him a little bit better? And I've never, like, I, like people talk about, like, I've, I've, I heard God say clearly or God directed me, you know, like to do these things. You've never really heard me say these things except during this time period. Like, I, I am a super duper, super fan of sports. My, one of the biggest flaws in my preaching is that I have to stop myself from using sports uh, analogies too often. <laughs> one of the things that I knew that God was calling me to give up was sports. And, it, and, the, and the Nationals were in the playoffs. Like, they were on their way to the, to the World Series, and I just missed it. I missed it, guys. And it'll never happen again, probably. Um, but I missed it. And I just knew, guys, like, Dan, out of all the time that you spend watching sports, and all the times you spend reading about sports or talking about it, man, we could have some real good time together. Like you could actually know like some of the things that I want you to deal with if you're going to go and do what I've called you to do in the next thing. Like just like 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 just letting it be quiet. You know what I mean? Another thing that I gave up was just like I'm not a big poster on social media, but I'm a scroller. Anybody a scroller in here? Like. You have nothing to say. Like, you have, you're not the person who, who, who like tweets something really meaningful or you have like a, a great quote or something. You're just like, I got 15 minutes and I'm just going to scroll to see what's, what the rest of the world is doing. And I was like, Dan, you know what I could do with those 15 minutes? Do you know how I could grow you in those 15 minutes? There's some passages that you're just taking so long to get through your Bible reading plan that I just need you to get to in the next couple months. And if you would give up those 15 minutes a day that you're scrolling, we could get there. I mean, fasting is not for you. Fasting is not for, for, for us. It, it is dedicating and almost as an offering saying, hey, God, I got 20 days. I wonder if I took 20 days out of, the, out of the pleasures and the luxuries that you have allowed me to have. It's not that they're bad, but I'm going to kind of set those things to the side and put myself on the altar towards you. And I want to see what you do with it. And I, like, I don't give a lot of guarantees. Like, I feel like I should have a button up here. Can I guarantee you something? Like, uh, you ever watch NBA on TNT where Charles Barkley hits the guarantee button? Sorry, another sports analogy. Um, here's a guarantee. Um, if I was to guarantee you anything, I've never heard someone say, approach, approach a fast in a, um, with a humble heart and an open spirit and come out not growing closer to the Lord. Never had it. I know I haven't been here that long but I've been here long enough. I would, I would just put that in front of you. You, you. you have these great leaders like Moses and Elijah. If God were to call some of his great, leader, uh, great leaders to fast and pray, what could it mean for us? None of verse three says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, I think it's important for us and. You know, if you're going to have an enemy, it's important to understand the mind and the, and, and the capabilities of the enemy that you have. And for you and I, we should not fool ourselves that Satan knows God's word better than we do. You know how we, we know this? Because he knows enough to manipulate it in this passage. Satan knows what you're up to, and he directs his temptation accordingly. You don't think that Satan knew that Jesus had fasted for 40 days? 
I mean, of course he does, because how does he start off everything? The first test pertained to the matter of sonship. The temptation was for the son of God to act independently of the father. See, God had a will of what Jesus' purpose was on earth, and Satan is trying to separate the two. He tried to divide and conquer. He knew that, you know, that, 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 that the dynamic of, you know, a father, son, and Holy Spirit and how they were one. Jesus talked about this. If you remember in our series in John, we talked about how the Spirit acted and moved. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the Trinity acted and moved as one in their purpose. And here, he's like, hey, listen, uh, you're the son of God. You're hungry. God's not hungry. He's not worried about you. Why don't you go ahead and uh, serve yourself? Satan's test was subtle for, sh- for since he is the son of God, he has the power to turn the stones all around, all around him into bread. But that was not the will of his father. The father's will was for him to be hungry. Man, like, it, like is this not one of the hardest? This is a subtle temptation. But I think like we all forget the aspect of, man, when your body wants something, it's easy to give into it. Like, I watched a video the other day of, um, it was like a, a dad camp. And it, it was like boot camp style. I think they were on an army, like training base. And it was like fathers and sons going through like the course and everything together. And they got to one point where they had to sit in um, an ice bath together. So they were big enough to where father was sitting on this side and son was sitting on this side. And, you know, it, it was so... Like they did this like for a couple of days. That's how they started their mornings and they had to run through the course together. And at one point, like they show a video of a father and his son in the ice bath, like staring at each other. And dad, as soon as they get in, you could just tell that dad is looking at his son saying, oh, he wants to give up. Like, he's like, he's like, dad, it's too cold. I can't be in here. And his father's just like, trying not to yell at him, but coerce him. Like, no, just, just sit in here. Like, you, you're fine. I promise you, like, we just got a couple more minutes in here. We could do it. And his son is saying, no, I can't do it. I got to get out. And he tries to get out a couple times. And some of the other guys are like telling him to stay in. And his father is like, just like doing anything that he can to verbally keep him into this tub. Sure enough, like 15, 20 seconds later, the kid gets out. And then you can see like the next day, dad is prepping him on the way. He's saying, hey, as soon as we get over this, this wall, we're going to have to go through this course, but then we're going to have the ice bath, and we're going to stay in there, and I'm going to be in there with you, son. Like, you're not doing this alone. I'm going to be in this tub with you, and we're going to stay there. And so before he even got there, he was already prepped. He was already ready. His, his body wasn't reacting to the shock of this. See, one of the things that we have to understand about God's, like, divine plan of redemption, this was the plan all along. The circumstance didn't change. You know what I mean? Like, like, God's will was always for Jesus to go through this and to go through this hungry. It wasn't that he got here. He's like, man, I, I am starving. I, 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 need to, I need to feel something to satisfy me so that I can go and do my ministry. I need to be, like, physically ready. No, the plan was that always that Jesus would come and deal with this hungry. He saw this before it happened. There was preparation so that when it came time for the physical taxing of his body, he would, he would deal with this. He would be ready for it. And Jesus' will doesn't, super, doesn't supersede the will of the Father. It's connected. The Son doesn't act independently of the Father. Can I just like point to that for you and I? 
Your body's going to want something, and it's okay that it does. And it's okay that you feel it. You know, there's, there's nothing that is more tempting to me than some fried food. And there's this time that I'm just like, man, I want this, but I know I don't need it. And I could probably use other examples about what our body wants, but like, just because your body wants it doesn't mean that your body needs it. Just because your, your, your eyes want to look at something doesn't mean that we need to. Just because like, we're, we're led and even in our own desires that to do something If you and I are followers of Jesus, that means that we have been blessed with the mind of Christ. That 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 we should yearn for him and even like and it's one of those things where like our heart and our eyes and and our feet may be pointed towards Jesus, but our flesh is definitely not. Yeah. You gotta like Paul talks about about like beating your body into submission. So we don't act independently from the Father. Um the question that really, that, that we have to deal with is how much do you want your wants? How much do you want the things that your body wants? And is it worth it? There's, there's lots of things that, 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 that Dane wants. But Dane's also submitted to the Father. And part of my sacrifice and part of what it means to be a living sacrifice is to deny myself. Yeah, oh yeah, you can get on Instagram or whatever and you can see all day that like we got to listen to our bodies and we have to do what our body wants. That is not scripture. Oh, when it comes to rest, yes, listen to your body. You need to do it. That's scripture. But like, you know, just like pleasing ourselves, self-care Sunday is not self-care unless it involves scripture. You can't take care of yourself scripturally unless God's involved because who made your body in the first place? But when it comes to our own, our own rhythms and our own, uh, our own desires, it's got to be submitted to the Father. We can't act independently from him. In his response, Jesus actually quotes from, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I think this is so significant because all of Jesus' responses, they mirror uh, what was happening when the Israelites were in the wilderness with their own rebellion. It says, uh, uh, 8.3, it says, and he humbled And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man, uh, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of, uh, of the Lord. See, listen, Jesus saw the need for physical food as the same importance of God's word. He like, he's saying like, listen, like, cool, bread's important, but you know what else is important? God's word, you need to feed on this. This is as, as much of important, if not more, than physical food. Um, I, I, uh, I don't know if anybody's like me, but yeah, I, it's hard for me to walk past a, a pack of Skittles when I'm in the, uh, in, the, in, the, um, in the gas station. And you know what the problem with like sweets and Skittles and things like that is? Oh, they're filling. It's filling of junk. And you eat, like, like for me, like I eat a pack of Skittles and then I'm, it's time for dinner or it's time for something. And I'm like, I'm full, but I'm full of what? Of, of literal nonsense. Sometimes we aren't hungry for things that are good for us because we're already filled with junk. 
if Jesus, the living word, needed a, uh, to use the written word to deal with the enemy of the word, how much more do you and I need it? That the way that Jesus dealt with his own, like, hungry state and dealt with the temptation that was in front of him was not by saying, like, you know what? Let me go ahead and get one of these. Let me go turn one of these, these stones into bread, and then I'll be ready to defeat Satan. No. He used God's word. He gave us the word to wield like a sword. So what if we want, what if what we want is outside of God's will for us? We have to remember this, that it is better to obey God's word than to satisfy humans' desires. Verse five, it says, um, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against the stone Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan's understanding of scripture is probably better than ours. The devil knew that the Bible, uh, uh, the devil uh, knows the Bible and he uses it. If he can't convince you to act independently from God, he'll work through your religion. He'll work through your own understanding and he'll use it against you. The second test by Satan appealed to the personal display or popularity idea. And this test builds on, on the first four. If he is the son of God and the Messiah, nothing can harm him. He's like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you do this? Like, why don't you set yourself on the temple? And by the way, like Jewish tradition at this time, they kind of thought this was how the Messiah was going to show up, that he was going to fall from the sky or descend in this grand way. So Satan's saying, everybody thinks you're going to show up this way anyway. And you're not going to hurt yourself because you've got the power of the angels. Like you, you can show up and, 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 and not strike your foot and it'll be fine. Why don't you go ahead and do this? Jews believe that the, the Messiah would just suddenly appear. Satan leaves out a key phrase while quoting um, Psalms uh, 91, um, 11 through 12. He leaves out the phrase, in all your ways. So according to a psalmist, a, a person is protected only when he is following the Lord's will. Because he says, on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And, and, and Satan is, according to this, he makes sure to leave out the fact that we're supposed to, uh, you know, um, um, follow God in all of his ways. According um, to this passage, uh, Jesus came to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple in some dramatic display to accommodate himself to the people's thinking would not have been God's will. Jesus is just doing things for the sake of Jesus' sake. I mean, like, when have you seen this? We went through all of John, right? Was there any time that Jesus was just like, I feel like doing some Jesus stuff today. Let me do some Jesus stuff. Boom, water. Like, we, like when we went through our series, we saw that every single time that Jesus did a miracle, even the ones when he was healing people and making people's like, like circumstances here on earth better, the ultimate purpose was that they would do what? Believe. That they would trust in him more. Even at, the, even at the wedding at Cana, it wasn't so that they would just have more wine. It says that so that the servants and his disciples who came with them would believe. So it would go against the character of Christ to just say, you know what? That would pretty, be a pretty dope story. Hey, y'all heard the one about when Jesus stood at the top of the temple and he just threw himself down? Oh, that, that was pretty cool. That's some real cool Jesus stuff. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy uh, 6.16 and says that you don't put God to the test 
You don't, ex- you don't expect him to do something when it's out of his will. And a lot of times, like, this is the heart of our prayers. We know that God's able. We know that he's capable of doing things in our lives. But God's saying, does it, mash, does, does, does it fit my purposes? Please, ask for me. Ask, ask for things according to my will. Does it fit our purposes? It goes after the question for us. How much do you want your fame? How much do you want your popularity? How much do you want your status? This is what Satan was going after. He was saying, you're the son of God. People should recognize you. People should worship you. You can make this whole thing easy if you just do this great act. This is how people are expecting you to come. If you care about it, you do this great big thing, and this is what happen. I mean, for us, it's the same thing. Like, in our country, one of the currencies that we have outside of our money and things is notoriety. This is how we measure most things. Right? Like, who is the, when, when you go on, when it's time for a date night or it's time for you to go out to eat, are like, and you have to Google a restaurant, are you going to the one with one star? Is anybody just like, like, anybody going to the one star restaurant? Like, that's your favorite restaurant? No, you, you don't. Actually, let me ask you a different way. Your favorite restaurant that you just happen to go by, have you ever gone to Google to check it to make sure that it has more than one star? You don't want to find that out. Like, God forbid you read a Google review. Yeah, but they actually have rats in their kitchen. Then it just ruins your favorite Chinese restaurant probably, right? Like, we, we measure things by status. We measure things by, by, by notoriety. Like, it, it, it matters to us. Satan's trying to appeal to this to Jesus. He's saying, like, people should know you. People should recognize you as the Messiah. Why don't you do this? I don't know. Maybe this matters to you or not. But I think even in, like, even in the, in the smallest of circumstances, is this not a temptation that just p- picks at you? When you do something impressive or you do something for somebody, is there not a, a notion in you that says, they should know that I did it? They should know that, that, that I'm important. Like, for some reason, they're not recognizing it as such, and I need them to know who I am. If the Son of God, Jesus in all his in all his worthiness for it, saw this as something that he didn't need to grasp or need to have present in front of him to, to, to care about his fame, I think, I think you and I will be all right. I think we'll do just fine. Um, verse 8, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and, and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you, fall, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan's final test related to God's plan for Jesus. It was and it is God's design that Jesus Christ ruled the world, but make no mistake that these kingdoms presently are Satan's. You read through scripture that Satan's referred to as, you know, the king of this world or the prince of the air, that, that he has dominion over us. That's why the world has fallen, because it has an evil king. It has evil influence. Satan had the, the, the power to give all these kingdoms to Jesus at that time. Satan was saying, I can accomplish the will of God for you, and you can have the kingdoms of this world right now. But what's the problem with Satan's offer? He's like, hey, I know at the end of the age, this is what's supposed to happen. I can give it to you right now. Um, 
problem with that offer is that uh, he'd never gone to the cross. I don't know how, but, you know, Satan must have known about the ultimate redemption plan to redeem mankind. He must have understood what was said to him in the, in the, in the garden way back when of, of what's, uh, what Christ was coming and how the whole thing got started because, it, because Satan was involved in that too. And the redemption plan for mankind, Satan could short circuit it and say, hey, you could have the kingdoms now, Jesus. But then what about you and I? What about the redemption of mankind? He'd never gone to the cross. He'd still be the king of kings without the cross, but this would have thwarted God's plan for, for salvation. He would have still had his glory. He would have still been the most high. He still would have been deserved of our worship because he's God. But we'd still be stuck in our sin. Not to mention that Jesus would have worshiped an inferior. Jesus quotes from, from uh, Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20 when he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I think this is the question of it is that, man, a lot of times we, we look for the, shorts, uh, the, the shortcut towards things. That we have the opportunity to do the, the long haul or the hard work. And a lot of times it's for our own benefit or it's for our own ease. And the question becomes, how much do we want our own glory? How much does, does like, you know, our own status, our own, our own position matter? You know, like, like Hebrews talks about Jesus didn't see that, you know, his, his own glory is something to be grasped. But he was always thinking about it with you and I in mind. I don't think this is something that Jesus struggled with. He was locked and loaded with scripture. He was ready to, he was ready to shoot with. But I just want us to see like, like, you know, the mind of Christ, that it's not just about him, you know, being God, which he's always deserved to be, but, you know, taking Satan up on his offer short circuits his, his redemption plan for you and I. In the same way, how much does your own, like, uh, um, your own, uh, refusal of giving in to temptation, does it have anybody else in mind? I mean, I think there's sometimes when, when we can make a decision to serve ourselves, to, to please ourselves, to do something for us. And by the way, like our culture like demands that we think this way. Moms, uh, Mother's Day was last weekend. How many ads since then or before did you see like ads of like, when was the last time you did something for you? Have you done anything for you lately? Dads, we're about to get the same thing, right? Like, and it's going to be all about stakes. Like, dads, or like a power tool. Like, dad, have you bought yourself a gift lately? Like, you know, it's good. And I get it. Like, cool, sell your stuff. But at the same time, like, we got to be careful with that. Because, like, just like, we don't ever want to get into the routine, get in the exercise of saying, yeah, for, for my glory. For my glory. Like, like I, des I deserve something. Because Jesus did. But said, you know what? I'm going to get back to that. Absolutely. I'm the Messiah and the King of Kings. Satan, I don't even need you to tell me that. But I got to keep to this plan for the sake of mankind. 
How much do you want your own glory? Have you ever considered that Satan's temptation uh, to Jesus mirrored the temptations to eat in the garden? Like the appeal to the physical appetite for, for Jesus, it was stones in the, in the bread. For, for Eve, it was, the, it was the fruit. The appeal to personal gain for, for Jesus, you will not hurt your foot. Or, or, or for, to Eve, it was, uh, it was that you will not die. An appeal to power of glory that, you know, for Jesus, you will have all the world's kingdoms. For Eve, you will be like God. I mean, all these replies come from, you know, from, from Scripture. And, and while the Israelites are, uh, were in wilderness, you know, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, like I said, but we can only recognize and combat these temptations by saturating our hearts and minds with the truth. I think, like, you know, like, like this is so important. I think a lot of times we, we look at these stories about the temptation of Jesus, and we're like, of course he was able to go through that, Dane. He's Jesus. Sure. But Jesus made sure that he was the most human possible to show us how to deal with this. He fasted 40 days. I don't think there's a man in here, man or woman in here, after you go without food for 40 days, you would probably eat a stone before it was turned into bread. You're hungry. Jesus got to his weakest state and said, the way I'm going to deal with this is not by like my accountability group or not by, you know, someone texting me or not by like, you know, the podcast that I listen to. I'm going to use God's word. That's how we're going to get through this. We can, we can only recognize and combat these temptations by saturating our hearts and minds with the truth. You, you would have, if you've been in church in a while, you've heard of the, the armor of God, right? It's in Ephesians. You've heard about this before? My son was just quoting this the, the other day. My son, who's our sound man this morning, if it sounds great, it's because he's great. Um, comes from good stock. Um, so there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's all these different, like, you know, pieces of the armor of God. Helmet, you know, shoes breastplate of righteousness, all these different things. I was going to try to quote them all in case I got one wrong. You guys would judge me. Um, um, in Ephesians 6, have you ever noticed in the whole armor that there's only one offensive weapon? There's only one. The sword of truth. Ten points. It's the sword of truth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Knowing the Bible intimately will put the necessary weapon in our hand to be victorious over temptation. And that, that, that's, that's the key. Like, I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes we make this too, too hard or sometimes we, we, we bypass this too quickly. But there's no, there's no trick to this. You can go to every council you want. You can get a million accountability partners as you want. You can set yourself up and like have alerts and, you know, you can get every, you know, I, th- there's a million um, uh, uh, softwares to put on our phones and our laptops to keep us from watching pornography. It's a million of them. We can get all of those things. Guess what? Like, Jesus didn't, like, we don't have, you know, any, uh, uh, all those things are great. And these are great tools that God uses to help men and women to, to, to overcome temptation. But none of them are going to be as good is being able to be offensive against temptation is God's word. I mean, you got to know it. If this is your church or you're part of another church, you can have a great pastor that can say something to you that it sticks in your mind all week. It's not going to be as good as knowing God's word. Jesus, as the son of God, he didn't use some super duper trick 
to defeat and, you know, kill Satan. He just answered back in God's word. As the living word of God, he answers back with God's word. I think the way we respond this morning is, one, recognizing that you and I, Satan's got plans for us this week. We let's talk about God's plan for my life and God established the plans of my life. Satan's got them too. He's got things in store for you this week. I want you to be like Jesus in the fact that you're ready for it before it gets here. I want you to have an answer and I want you to have an offense for when it comes. And yeah, like flee from Satan. What this passage shows me and what other passages show us when it comes to, 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 to dealing with temptation is that when we're willing to be offensive against temptation by using God's word, what does Satan do at the end of this story? Did Jesus slay him like a dragon? No, he got lost. He fleed from him. Scripture tells us that when we resist Satan, he'll do what? He'll flee. He'll leave. To the, guy, like, to the guys and girls in here, like, that if, if, man, like, you could just say, like, Dana, I, I've been getting beat up by temptation recently. I, I, can't, I can't get over it. I want you to keep fighting. Confess that back to the Lord. Deal with it. Get on your hands and knees. Confess your sins. Find somebody that you, you know, that you trust and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. That's what I believe. That's in Scripture. I've seen it true in my own life. Do those things. But as you approach it the next time, and there will be a next time, the way that we deal with it is by continuing to resist. And you do that by using God's word. You, got, you have an amazing weapon. And it's God's word. And it, and it hasn't failed. Amen? Would you pray with me? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.